So I want to start off by thanking Chazak and 2010 for putting together this year. And we're at the perfect time in the year to really delve deeply into the nature and purpose of tefillah. Because this is something we do every single day, many times a day, and something which people struggle with. People who aren't philosophically inclined struggle with just tapping into it in a deeper way, like connecting to it, making it meaningful. And people who are philosophically inclined, they have so many questions about why do we daven? And obviously the title is why do we daven if Hashem already knows what we want, but we're going to build many, many deep questions about the real purpose and nature of tefillah. And I mean, first and foremost, it's important to say that davening is a mitzvah. I mean, even though we have a machlokas, famous machlokas, between the Rambam and the Ramban, whether old tefillah is a mitzvah or only based sara, when there's something, you know, a tragedy or something difficult is happening, is that, is that the only time where tefillah is a mitzvah? We hold that tefillah is a mitzvah. And it's a mitzvah which is, I would say, very often misunderstood. And there are so many layers to the depth of tefillah. I want to start with a story. And the story is of a man who visits a community and he goes to the shul that uh, his host davens at, and he cannot believe his eyes. Because the moment he walks into the shul, everyone is talking. And it's not even like whispering, it's like talking. Like, everyone's just talking. And he can't believe he's never, I mean, he's been to shuls where people daven, he's been to shuls where they have kiddush clubs, he's been to shuls where just, you know, some people talk in the back, but he has never seen anything like this. And after Shabbos, he leaves, and he just thinks to himself, like, what in the world happened? Like, I've never seen what, I've never seen anything like that. It's a whole different category of talking. And years go by, he forgets about it. He's invited back to that, that host for Shabbos a couple years later. And he goes, and he's thinking, like, whoa, this is going to be interesting. Like, I wonder how bad it is now. And he goes to shul with his host, and he can't believe it. And you hear a pin drop. Like, no one's talking. No one. And, like, at one point in shul, he heard, like, a whisper. And, like, he heard ten people say, shh. And he's like, like, what is going on? I've never seen such an extreme shift in the decorum and the the level of talking in a shul my entire life. So after shul, they're walking back. And he goes to his host and he says, listen... Uh, you know, don't mind me asking. I hope you don't mind me asking, but what in the world is going on? The last time I came, everyone was talking, and now no one's talking. So so smiled him and said, "Okay, I'll tell you what happened. Basically, for years, as you saw when you came, as you saw firsthand, people talk in our shul, and it's it got pretty bad." And it got to the point where this is just the way it was. And a couple of years ago, a couple of machers, a couple of people in the shul got together and said, you know, it's time to go to the next level in our shul. We're going to invest $10 million. We're going to have a whole new building. We're going to hire a new rabbi. We're going to, you know, take our shul to the next level. And everyone was, there was a huge campaign. And we collected the money. And it was very exciting. And we're about to, we finished building it. We're about to start this new uh, stage of our community of our Kahila, and we suddenly realized we realized that we had spent so much money and time building our shul, but we didn't know what davening was about. We didn't know why we daven, what the purpose of davening is. So we started learning about it. And the rabbi who we hired, we asked him if he'd be willing to give us some shirim on the the purpose of tefillah, and we devoted a lot of time and energy to really delving into tefillah. And we started realizing like. Oh my gosh, there's going to be no talking in our shul. So 
when we reopen the shul, we made everyone who wanted to be a member of our shul sign a contract that they wouldn't talk. And if you want to be a part of our shul, now you can't talk. And this story is obviously powerful because it shows that once you start devoting time and energy towards what the purpose of the field is, you start to view it in a completely different lens. You have a whole different paradigm, a whole different perspective of how you perceive tefillah. And so what I want to do today is I want to delve into the real nature of tefillah. I want to delve into the question of what is tefillah really about? And I want to pose a couple fundamental questions. And these questions, many of them are found in the Maharal. You can actually look them up for yourself. It's in the Tivas Olam, the Tiva not all of them are in the Maral. You find them, a lot of them in Chazal, a lot of the Rishonim mentioned these, a lot of Achronim also mentioned these. But these are the questions which hopefully will help open up the topic of Tefillah. And the first, and the question that I really want to build as our framework is there seems to be a lot more Tefillah than we think, or at least that we assume. Because we assume Tefillah is asking Hashem for things, but the, the Gemara says the Hasidim, and now we're not talking about the, the branch of Hasidus, we're talking about the ancient Hasidim in the times of Chazal. The Hasidim, the Gemara says they would spend three hours on every single Tefillah. They would spend an hour preparing, they would spend an hour during Tefillah, and they would spend an hour afterwards. And they would do this three times a day. That means nine hours of their day was devoted towards Tefillah. And these people were obviously busy. They were focused on learning and growing, and they spent so much time on tefillah. The question is why? And what were they doing? What was the purpose? You know, you spend an hour preparing. You spend an hour coming down. What, what is going on here? What is, what is the purpose of each one of those hours? And the next question is, why do we ask Hashem for so many things? So obviously it's important, and we can maybe talk about this, and it's important to personalize tefillah, to ask Hashem for your own bakashas, to say, to ask Hashem for what's going on in your life and to make tefillah personal. I mean, we have an objective framework of tefillah, especially Shemunasrei, you don't change any of the brachos, but you can add in your personal bakashas into the tefillah to make the, the experience genuine, real, and personal, but even that, we have to take a step back and say, what in the world are we doing? We're asking Hashem for so many things. Why? Especially because what is tefillah? Tefillah is replacing the karbanos. Karbanos were an avoda. They were us, so to speak, giving ourselves, giving an aspect of ourselves, giving an aspect of our, our ownership, our property, our... We're not going to get into all the details, but we're giving a, an aspect of ourselves to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, sacrificing an aspect of ourselves for Hashem. And nowadays, Udavin is supposed to sacrifice an aspect of ourselves for Hashem. We ask Hashem for, for so many things. And the Ramban, especially when it comes to Karban Chattas, at least, says that when it comes to Karban Chattas, you have to actually imagine that you deserve to be on the Mizbeach. And Hashem is allowing the, 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 the Karban, the animal, to so to speak, be kind to fulfill that requirement of you being on the Mizbeach. But it's a genuine avodah. We're giving ourselves to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We're saying that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm devoting myself to Hashem. And nowadays, when we have our tefillah, we're asking Hashem for things. It seems to be, it, sh it should really trouble you, at least at first glance, that almost all of our tefillah focuses on bakashos, of the things that we're asking Hashem for. And we're just used to this, but if you think about it, fundamentally, that shouldn't be what tefillah is about. If if we think of it as an avoda, especially avoda salayid, it's it's an avoda. 
It's a certain we are serving Hakadosh Baruch Hu. So, so what's going on here? And to put it a little more bluntly, the the Ramchal Nefshachaim develop this idea of four levels of chakras. So when you have Birchas HaShachar and the Karbanos, that's the Olam of Asiya, it's the realm of doing practical things. And then you have Tzuki de Zimra, that's the realm of Bria, that's, it's, it's, a, it's a form of song, which is a higher level, a higher state of consciousness, a higher form of Voda. Then you have Kriya Shema, which is the realm of Yitzir, which is uh, really connecting Shema Yisrael Hashem Lekun Hashem Echad, it's developing and connecting to the oneness of reality, the oneness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And then we have Shema which is Atzilus. And that's, you have to think of it as if you're mamish talking to Akash Baruch himself. And during Atzilus, during Shemun Esri, during talking to Akash Baruch himself, which we'll get into the different kavanos, Ramam says that you have to have kavana, you have to know that you're standing in front of Akash Baruch that's the most important kavana to have during Shemun Esri. So during that kavana, during Shemun Esri, during that, that realm of, of Atzilus, where you're connecting to really being in front of Akash Baruch Hu, we're going to ask Hashem for things? It's like the Nefesh Chaim says, it should be an experience which transcends the body. It should be this mind-blowing, awesome, like awe, awesome experience. And we're asking Hashem for things. So we're so used to it that it might not trouble you. But if you're thinking from scratch in terms of building what Shemoneser should be, what this this time period of Avodah should be, you wouldn't think it should be asking Hashem for things. So we need to really... We need to delve deeper into what this bakasha, what this this time of request is, because we should be asking what we can do for Hashem, not what Hashem can do for us. And you can give an answer, which is kind of doche, and say, no, Hashem just loves it so much when we talk to Him, that, uh, and when we build a relation with Him, that even though we're asking for things, He still loves it. But that's not an ideal answer. That, that doesn't, you know, that that's that's nice, it, it, you know. Would, you, would someone accept that answer? Maybe. But more fundamentally, you'd think... That that's not it's still not an avoda. It's still not. It's still at least at the very least it sounds bediavid. So the question is, what's with all the bakashas? Why do we ask Hashem for so many things? But to take the, the next step, even if we do ask Hashem for things, and for we're going to have to find a way of making that make sense. I mean, even if it does make sense for us to ask Hashem for things, doesn't Hashem already know what we want? Hashem is perfect. Hashem knows everything. He knows, you know, Haya, Hova, Viya. Kosh Baruch is beyond time. He knows everything. He knows what happened, what's going on, and what will happen. Nothing new. We can't share anything new with Hashem. We don't need to tell him, like, Hashem, just so you know, I know you're busy, but this is what I want. No, no, Hashem's not busy. Hashem is, you know, knows everything, is within all things, and is beyond all things. Hashem doesn't need us telling him what we want. So why are we spending so much time saying, hey, Hashem, like, I just want to let you know that I need this and I want this and can you please do this for me? Do we really think Hashem doesn't already know? And if Hashem already does know, then why are we asking? Why would he want us to ask him for things? I mean, put it very simply, it seems almost disrespectful, right? You don't, <laughs> it's, it's like if someone knows something and you go and you try reminding him and he's like, I already know this, and you know I already know this. Like, why are you telling me? It seems a little disrespectful. But there's an even more, I would say, you can either say troublesome or or, or just like a, a deeper form of this question, which is, of course Hashem already knows what we want, but even more so, Hashem, wouldn't Hashem always do what's best for us? And the Maharal says this explicitly. If you want to look it up, it's in the Tivas Olam, in Tivas Voda, Perak Beis. He says that, Hashem 
only does what's good. And if Hashem knows what's good for us, then why would we ask? Because of course He would do it for us. It's almost like if it's not good for us, of course He's not going to do it for us. If it's good for us, because Hashem loves us, Hakadosh Baruch Hu is, is our Melech, it's our Bari, but He's also our our, our Father. He He has that form of Ava. Hakadosh Baruch Hu created the world to give to us, to give the ultimate good, which is a connection with Him, in the deepest way possible. As the as the Ramchal discusses in many places, that's Fios Amisil Shusharim Derech Hashem. So if Hakadosh Baruch Hu wants to do the ultimate good for us, then why would we need to ask Him to do what's good for us? Of course He's going to do what's good for us. It's like if a child wants an electric saw and he's five years old, the parent's going to say no. Not because I'm trying to withhold from my child what my child wants because that's not good for you. It's going to hurt you. If a child is three years old and he says, I want that really sharp shard of glass, the parent's going to say no because the parent loves the child. And if the child, let's say, doesn't ask and let's say it's a baby, you know, if the child doesn't ask for food, the mom's not going to give the, the baby food. Of course the mom's going to give the baby food. And if the the child, it's in the middle of winter and it's freezing cold and the child doesn't ask for a sweater, the, the mother and father's not going to give the child a sweater. So of course Hashem's going to do what's best for us because He loves us. So why would we need to ask? Right? Think about that. Hashem should do what's best for us regardless of whether or not we ask for it. So why is asking Hashem, why is tefillah so important? Number five, and this is perhaps the most fundamental question, which we are going to have to really delve deeply into, is how can we even fathom the idea of changing Hashem's mind, right? So much of tefillah is trying to convince Hashem to give us what we want. And, I mean, we have to remember, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is perfect. So if we're not supposed to get it, we're not going to get it. If we're supposed to get it, we're going to get it. And if we're supposed to get it, then we should get it even without asking. If we're not supposed to get it, we shouldn't get it even if we do ask. So what is this idea of like davening so hard for something as if we can change HaKadosh Baruch Hu's mind? Because Hashem is perfect. When do you change your mind? You change your mind when you receive new data, new information. So for example, let's say you were going to go to the restaurant and you find out the restaurant is not kosher. Now I'm not going to the restaurant. I was going to go to the library. Then I found out the library is closed. Now I'm not going to the library. But you don't change your mind if you don't get new information. So the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to change his mind because we're asking doesn't make any sense. I mean, you can you can literally think of it. Like, do we really think by feel we're giving Hashem new information? It's like, you know, I wasn't going to give you that. And I decide not to give you that. But after that real beautiful presentation, Reichman, you know, I think I'm going to change my mind. It's like, what in the world do we think we're doing? Do we think we can change Hashem's mind? That's the ultimate disrespect to Gosh Baruch Hu's greatness. So we have to understand what we're trying to do when we daven so hard for things and when we make bakashos and when we really ask Hashem for anything. Because we can't change Hashem, so it doesn't really make much sense. What are we trying to do? What's the point of davening? And I'll, I'll leave you off with one last question. It's a, a little bit of a bonus question. We'll get back to it hopefully at the very end. But there's a strange Gemara Brachos of Zayin and Aleph that says that Hashem himself davens. There's other Gemara Gemara that says that Hashem puts on tefillin. What, what that means, really, we need to give a whole shift for what that means. But it says that Kosh Baruch himself davens. Now, <laughs> what is Hashem davening for? What does Hashem want? Who's Hashem davening to? What does this mean? Uh, like, all of these questions should just help you see that tefillah requires a lot more uh, delving into it's not just we daven and we go 
do mitzvahs, it's, we need to understand what davening is. Right? We have mitzvahs, we have Talmud Torah, we have Gemilas Chasadim, but we need to really understand the depth of tefillah. And there's no one answer. We're going to build a spectrum. We're going to hopefully delve deeper into these ideas. These ideas are so essential, and there's so much here. And I will be honest with you, there's so much more than we can actually put into one chair. We're going to go deep, but as with everything in Torah, you're never going to fully, fully cover a topic. So we're going to obviously need to keep our eyes and ears open and really understand that as much as I'm going to lay down the seeds and the the Iker principles, there's so much more than we can develop in this year. So I want you to stay thirsty for, for more, but I want to build a framework and a spectrum so you can start to really delve deeper into this powerful, powerful topic. And the first stage that I want to develop is the idea that the Ramchal develops in Derech Hashem, in the fourth chapter, where he develops this idea that tefillah, among, among the aspects of tefillah that we're going to develop, one of the most fundamental is that tefillah is about actualizing potential. Which means that Kaj Baruch Hu set up the world in a way that there is what you deserve, there's what you can accomplish and what you can get. And this taps into Rosh Hashanah, where Rosh Hashanah is, so to speak, you are given your potential for the year, but that doesn't mean you're going to get that. It means what you could get. You have to then actualize that potential. So in the same, the same way, when you daven, you are bringing down the potential to the actual. It's almost, you can think of it, as almost like a faucet, where a Kaddish Baruch who will have the shafa, have the, the, the energy, have the potential of what you can receive. But in order to be makabal, in order to receive, you have to turn the faucet. You have to bring down that potential. So you're connecting yourself to Hashem, you're connecting your ratzon, it's really avodas halev tefilas, tefilas is really an avodas haratzon as well. You're connecting your will to Kaddish Baruch Hu's will, you are connecting to the root, you are connecting to Kaddish Baruch Hu, and you're bringing down that potential. So tefillah is very much about saying that I know what I could accomplish, but I need to then bring that into reality. And that's what tefillah is. So one of the most beautiful sources for this is the Gemara in Chulin, the Avsamach is actually quoted by Rashi. It mentions a stira, because in the first parak of Bracious, it says in, in Parak Aleph, Pasuk Yud Beis, that the plants came forth. But then later on in Parak Beis, Pasuk Hay, it says the plants hadn't surfaced yet. So what's going on? So a lot of these chakirs, a lot of these theories between Perak Alf and Perak Beis Abrashis. But the Gemara says, what's the solution? The solution is that the, the plants began to grow, but then stopped right below the surface. So the famous answer, Rashi develops this and Maral develops this, is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu would not let the plants come forth until Adam davened for it. Why? Because tefillah is our, we take part in bringing the potential into the actual. We, we take part in, we're going to develop a lot of ideas around this, but we connect to the process of bringing Hashem's Ratzon into reality. So the Maharal talks about how Hashem wants us to be involved in the Avodah, to work hard for it, to actualize the potential. Hashem's not going to do it. We are in this world to become, to actualize our potential, to become the most ultimate, best, perfect versions of ourselves. But we have to work for it. We have to create it ourselves. And that's the same thing for mitzvahs. What are mitzvahs? So Vilna Gon talks about this, and a lot of his Talmidim really go into the depth of this. It's that we are shluchim. We are, you know, shliach mitzvah. We, we, what is... What is a mitzvah? Svasamas also talks about this. Kosh Baruch Hu wants something. 
Kaddish Baruch Hu wants something, and we then connect our ratzon to Hashem's ratzon. We make Hashem's ratzon our ratzon, and we actualize that ratzon. So Hashem wants me to wear tzitzis, I wear tzitzis. Hashem wants me to make a bracha, I make a bracha. Hashem wants me to do some chesed, I do chesed. All of these things is Hashem has a ratzon. We connect our ratzon to Hashem's ratzon. We make his ratzon our ratzon. Right? I say, cure. You know, we make our ratzon like Hashem's ratzon, and we actualize that will. So it's the same thing for tefillah, is that we are connecting to Hashem and bringing that potential into the actual. And you can think of it almost like a piano. It's like, piano, you don't play music. You press a key, and music comes from somewhere else. So really, we are doing that last step, but the source is coming from somewhere else. So when you do a mitzvah, the original ratzons from Hashem, we do a physical action, and that's, so to speak, the re- revealed aspect, but really, it's having effect somewhere else, and the effect is really coming because we are, our actions are rooted somewhere else. The much I like to give is it's like a puppeteer show, where if you're controlling puppets, you're holding the strings from the top, and then what you do on top is manifest down below for people who are watching the puppets. So we, in this masha, like we are the puppets, but as, as opposed to in the puppeteer, where only the person on top affects what happens below, so only Hashem would affect what happens down below, we get to pull on the strings as well and affect the spiritual world as well. So doing mitzvahs, tefillah, that's connecting to the, the infinite, connecting to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, connecting to Hashem's Ratzon, and affecting it both ways. So we ask for Hashem to, you know, so, so to speak, pull on the strings and affect what's happening down below. But our mitzvahs, our tefillah, our gemilas chasadim, are able to affect the spiritual world as well. So the first stage is understanding that it's about actualizing potential. But another layer to this is about creating a makom for Hashem's bracha to manifest. So, for example. There is a deep principle in Jewish thought of a Kaddish Baruch Hu is our makom, right? Ha'olam lo makamo hu makamo shel olam. Kaddish Baruch Hu is the makom. We, we exist within Hashem, so to speak. But Hashem's bracha can only manifest if we create a makom for it to manifest. So for example, you have a cup. That cup, if it's filled with lead, you can't pour anything into it. It's only if there's a makom, if there's space, can it fill. So tefillah is also about creating a makom for Hashem's bracha to manifest which means negating your ego and allowing Hashem to flow through you. Right? Whenever things about you, when you are the center of your universe, there's no room for Hashem. That's why you know, someone who's a Balgaiva, someone who gets angry, all these, my Mary Chazal about how HaKadosh Baruch can exist in that world because you have not created a makam for Hashem to exist. You are the center of the universe. But this is beautifully expressed in, in a story in, in Tanakh where Elisha told the, the poor woman who actually, Chazal say, it's Avadia's wife. She needed money. She was, you know, she was very in debt because Avadia was in debt and they had spent all their money saving the Nevi'im from, from Achav and Izevel. So what, what happens in that story? Elisha says, bring me Kalim and as much Kalim as you'll bring me, I'll pour the oil into. What's the deep idea in there? I can give you bracha, miraculous bracha, but only if you have a makom for that bracha to exist. And the same principle applies to us. It's that Hashem has infinite, has an infinite amount of shefa, so to speak. But that transformative shefa, which is infinite, can, you can have as much as you want, but only if you create a makom for it. So tefillah is about creating a vacuum, creating a space for a Kodesh Baruch Hu to exist within you. 
right? Bilvavi Mishkan Evna. Akash Baruch who wants us to create a space within ourselves for him to exist. And that's the idea of becoming a receptacle. There's something really beautiful here. If you can remove your ego, that, that so to speak, that, that opaque cloudiness, that's really what Navu is about. It's about creating that clarity, that makam for Akash Baruch to exist within, your, within you. But then Hashem can shine through. It's like a window. If the window is very dirty, no light can shine through. The more that you clear away the opaqueness and the dirt and the mud, the more that Hashem can shine through, so to speak. It's, it's fascinating. The letters of the word ka'ur, which means ugly, also spells akur, which is opaque. Because that opaqueness creates the most ugly reality because it blocks the true beauty, the true, true oneness, the true expression of a Baruch Hu in the world. And the real goal, especially when it comes to our our, our, our goof, it's you want to create, uh, uh, personally, you want to create the means for your neshama, your inner self, to shine through your body, but you want to create a space for your for HaKadosh Baruch Hu to shine through your neshama. So it's like layers of self. You want your inner self to express through your body, but you want HaKadosh Baruch Hu to manifest through your inner self. And you have to basically... Make sure that your body is a vehicle for your neshama, but you want to make sure your neshama is a vehicle for Hashem. There is many more layers to this, and I just overly simplified it as much as I possibly could so that it makes sense without giving a whole share on this. But it's a beautifully deep idea in terms of understanding how the layers of expression work. I mean, the Zohar develops it beautifully when it comes to the Mabel. He says that, what was the Mabel? The Mabel wasn't really supposed to be a Mabel. Why? The Zohar says that actually the Mabel occurred at the time where Akash Baruch Hu was trying to have an experience of Ma'an Torah. He was giving the Torah to the world. In Ma'imela Torah, which is a whole deep idea we're not going to go into right now, but in Ma'imela Torah, the, the water is really equated with Torah in the sense that Akash Baruch Hu is giving the world Torah, but the world was not ready for it. And therefore, as opposed to receiving the Torah, they experienced the Mabel, which overflowed, overwhelmed them, and there was no receptacle, there was no way for them to receive it. It wasn't until Klai Yisrael came to Ma'an Torah, came to Arsini, that we were ready to be Mikabel, right? That's the deep idea. We're not going to go into all the different aspects of what, why Klai Yisrael were, were able to receive it, but not Savanishma is an aspect of it. But the only way that you can receive the Torah and receive Hakash Baruch Hu's Shefa, receive Hakash Baruch Hu's Ratzon, receive Bracha from Hashem, is if you create a makam and a receptacle. Because the same thing, meaning what we experience as Ma'an Torah, the Dor HaMabal experienced as a Mabal. It's really a question of whether you create the makam to receive it, which is a beautiful, beautiful idea. So that's the first idea. First idea of tefillah is that you have to actualize the potential and create a makam to receive the bracha of Akash Baruch Hu. The next stage is to recognize the power of tefillah because many people, if let's say, you know, the most common question is how can we bring Mashiach? So much of what Chazal says, it's a peace of Yeshua, we have to yearn for Mashiach to come. You can be asked at the end of your life, did you yearn for Akash Baruch to bring Mashiach? But what many people ask, they say, how can I yearn for Mashiach? Who am I? Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, they daven for Mashiach to come. Chazal daven for Mashiach to come. Rabbi Akiva daven for Mashiach to come. Mashiach didn't come. So now my tefillah is going to bring Mashiach? Are you serious? So, 
there's many, many stages of answering that question. And we're not going to be able to give one answer that includes all, but one of the most important ideas when it comes to this question is recognizing that every generation fulfills a unique purpose. The Ramchal says that every year fulfills a unique purpose, every generation fulfills a unique purpose, and there's like there's three stages of, of history, the first 2,000 years, second 2,000 years, and the last 2,000 years, and each year has its own purpose, each generation has its own purpose. We are the Kvisa de Mashiach. We are the, the heels of Mashiach, the very last stage. And there's a Midrash which actually beautifully expresses it. It says that it's not that any one person is supposed to bring Mashiach. It's not that like they feel it's now it's on us. The way it works, and the Ramchal actually says that at the end of time we'll realize how everything in all of history is bringing Mashiach. And there's two way, there's two versions in Chazal whether Hashem will bring Mashiach because we couldn't or will bring Mashiach. But everyone agrees that the ideal for us to bring Mashiach. And the Ramchal discusses how it's not just that Mashiach is going to come, it's that we have to actively bring it and when Mashiach does come, we'll see how every aspect of Jewish history brought Mashiach one step closer. And the Midrash says that you have to think of it as a barrel that needs to be filled with water, and the moment it overflows, Mashiach will come. So the Avos, they filled it up. And the Chazal, and the Chazal, and Chazal filled it up you know, even more. And the Rabbi Kiva filled it up some more. And every generation, they fill up a little more. And you know what? Generations ago, didn't fill up as much as Rabbi Akiva and Chazal, but they still filled up. And generation before us, they filled up. We're at the very end. All we need is a couple more drops. And we don't know which drop is going to be that last drop. So your mitzvah, your tefillah, your act of chesed could be the last act that brings Mashiach. So you're not supposed to be like the greatest person who ever lived and you're bringing Mashiach. You're just standing on the shoulders of giants and your job is to do that last small step. So when you view life that way, you're like, oh my gosh, every day like you can bring Mashiach? Like, that's the most incredible thing. And a mashal I want to hear, which I think is a great mashal, it's imagine if a person writes a check for $100 million, and then it flies into a room with a million blank checks. So, you know, you spend days and days trying to filter through the checks, and you've gone through, let's say there's, you know, 500,000 checks in that room. So you've gone through 495,000 checks, and you still haven't found it. There's 5,000 left. So what do you say? You say, oh my gosh, I'm never, 495,000 already checked, and then you find it. This is hopeless. I give up. No, you already you you you're, you're so close you get even more excited all you have is five thousand left so you have to have that that outlook where you're getting closer where as opposed to thinking like oh my gosh it still hasn't come you say like oh my gosh we're getting so close who knows if this could be the day who knows if this check is going to be that check you have to view it through the lens of yes you have the koach to do the unbelievable and when you view your tefillah that way, it becomes so empowering. It becomes, I would say, it becomes exciting because you realize the power of tefillah. But now before we go into the, the deepest layer of tefillah, I want to develop a couple ideas of what tefillah does for us. Because tefillah, as opposed to just being something that you go through the motions and you do, tefillah can be such a powerful part of our day. Uh, on the first and most basic level, the Ramchal develops this in Derech Hashem, the fourth chapter, that tefillah prevents you from becoming entangled in the physical world, meaning it connects you to the spiritual. And think about it. So many people, 
we spend so much of our day eating and going to work for those who go to work and, and sleeping and, and doing things that are very basic, very rote, very, uh, you know, potentially animal, potentially physical, that aren't connected to anything transcendent. And in addition to learning Torah, in addition to doing chesed, tefillah is an opportunity to to truly connect to Hashem in the deepest way, to connect to yourself in the deepest way, to connect to the spiritual, uh, deeper consciousness aspect of yourself. It's a it's an It's a work on meditation. It's a work on awareness and self awareness, and it can be the most transformative part of your day. And in addition to that, uh, number two is that tefillah helps you build a relationship with Hashem. It helps you realize that everything comes from it. I mean, think about it. When you're asking Hashem for the things in your life, that's you recognizing that Hashem is the source of the bracha in your life. You don't go into a, you know, you don't really go into a fruit shop and ask for a pair of socks, right? Because that's not where you go to get socks. When you go to Hashem for the things you're showing, this is where the things come from. It's like if you go to your boss, you ask him for raises, it's like, because this is where I can get a raise from. So if you go to Hashem and ask him for things, you're saying, this is the source, the makor of everything in my life. And that's so important because so much of life is, it's an avoda of hakara. Right? Hakara satov is recognizing where good comes from. And when you daven, you're recognizing that all the bracha in your life comes from Hashem. And when you realize that, you start to live a life rooted in a higher reality. Because so much of life is building a recognition of where things come from. You learn a sugi in shas, it's about building a framework, understanding where the underlying principles are and how the, 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 the pratim and the practical details and the halachos stem from those underlying principles. You want to train your mind to recognize where things come from. Keep it of aim teaches you that you come from someone beyond you. Then you trace yourself up. Oh, so where do they come from? Oh, where do they come from? Oh, where does Allah come from? You get back to Hashem. So much of life is building hakara, building recognition, sourcing things back to their root. Sourcing ideas back to their root ideas. Those ideas back to more fundamental core root ideas. You want to learn to trace things in life back to their source. And when you daven, you are recognizing Hashem as the source of everything in your life. And there's a beautiful concept that Torah is Hashem speaking to us and tefillah is us speaking to Hashem. And the idea... The idea, don't worry, I made a bracha beforehand. The idea is that you want to learn how to trace everything in your life back to Hashem. And when you talk to Hashem, you're talking to your source. Rav Chaim Ebrisk talks about it, he says beautifully, one of the most famous hakiras of Rav Chaim, is he says there's two types of kavana. He makes a, a diuk in the Rambam. Why? Because the Rambam says in one place that kavana... You have to have kavana for the first bracha shmonesrei. All right, you have to have kavana. And he says this kavana is really, you have to understand what the words mean. You have to understand what the words that you're saying mean. Understand what the, what the Hebrew is. And he says that if you only have this kavana for the first bracha, it's okay. What if you didn't have the first bracha? If you didn't have the first bracha, you shouldn't repeat shmonesrei because, you know, Mestama, you're probably going to forget it again. So what's the most fundamental thing? And the most fundamental thing is that you have to have kavana for the first bracha. That's really what you should have. But in another place, the Rambam says that if you don't have kavana, it's as if you didn't daven at all. Right? He says, he says if you have kavana, it's as if you didn't daven at all. 
So what, one second. In one place, the Rambam says that if you didn't have Kavana, it's, you should really have it for the, for the host Manasseh, but if you didn't have it for the host Manasseh, at least for the first bracha, if you didn't have the first bracha, you shouldn't repeat Shemanasseh. In another place, it says if you didn't have Kavana, it's as if you didn't daven at all. So Chaim Ebris says there's two types of Kavana. The first is translation of the words. That you have to have at least for the first bracha. But the type of Kavana that you have to have for all of davening, especially Shemanasseh, is the knowledge and the realization that you are standing you are standing before Hashem you're standing you're standing in front of your creator now when you have that kavana that means that at least three times a day you are not only sourcing yourself back to Hashem but you're having the experience of standing in front of and talking to Hashem that's a beautiful thing to have that's a beautiful thing to have. The core aspect of tefillah is building that relationship. It's understanding where things come from, and it's really standing in front of Akash Baruch Hu and talking, and talking in a deep, meditative way. And another layer of this is that part of part of tefillah is wanting to build a oneness, a kesher of oneness, a relationship of oneness with Hashem, deeply wanting to connect with Hashem and wanting everything that Hashem gives you, all the bracha from Hashem, wanting that to come from Hashem. Ramosha Shapiro explains beautifully, he actually does this in his Akdama's introduction of Rikshay Lev. He says, the correct way to daven to Hashem is like a woman has a tushuka, a woman has a craving for, for her husband to give her something. Meaning what? Meaning there are two ways to desire something. One is I just want that thing. I need it. I want it. Another is I want that, but I want it to come from you. So for example, you you buy your wife or your husband buys you flowers, roses, and Arab Shabbos. Well, why does why does she want it? It's gonna die in a week, you know, it's you know it's not worth much. You can't eat it. Why does she want the flowers? She wants the flowers because she wants the presence, that act of devotion. She wants the love to come from her husband. If you get a knock on the door of Erev Shabbos and it says, you have been randomly chosen by our database to receive this gift of 12 flowers. Have a good day. Does that 12 flowers mean anything to you? Does that dozen flowers, the dozen roses mean anything? No. But when the husband gives it, it's, it's that act of love. It's the fact that I want it to come from you. I want it to, in terms of building the relationship. And when we want things from Hashem, of course, many things we ask Hashem for we actually need, or at least we think we need. But on a deeper level, we need to want it to come from Hashem. We don't just want it, say, okay, thanks, you know, I got it. No, we want it to come from Hashem. We want to build the relationship with Hashem. We want to recognize everything in our life is coming from Hashem. We want to build a life centered around our relationship with Hashem. So every every aspect of brach in our lives, we get to say thank you to Hashem. We get to have every aspect of our life involved in the relationship with Hashem. That's unbelievable. That is unbelievable. The next aspect, I would say the third thing, so so far we've built so far two things. Number one is we want to connect ourselves to, to a spiritual aspect of ourselves as opposed to being invested only in the physical. Number two, we want to build a relationship with Hashem. Number three is we want to build a more empowering identity. I mean, so many people, they don't know who they are. They've never chosen an identity. They don't know that they are capable or destined for greatness. They don't know that they are capable of being healthy, of talking in Torah, talking in depth, seeing the world in a deeper way, of you know, really living a, a, an extraordinary life. When we dive in, 
we tap into that identity. We tap into identity. When we say that, you know, we're talking about our forefathers. We are branding ourselves. That is our identity. We come from greatness and we are destined for greatness. And that is... That is amazing when you can elevate your identity. You remind yourself that this is this this is genetics, physical and spiritual genetics. I come from greatness and I am going to continue that legacy. I am destined for greatness because we're reminding ourselves what we can and should and must become. And on the next level, this is the idea of bringing our tefillah back into our day. And, and that's the idea we mentioned the Hasidim who spent an hour going up, an hour diving, an hour coming down. What's the hour going up? The hour going up is 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 a, a focus on, on meditating on what are we about to engage in? Who are we about to spend our time talking to? It's making sure that you have the kavana of standing in front of a Kosh Baruch Hu. Now, not all of us can spend an hour, but you should still spend some time preparing. But the tefillah itself requires such kavana and that's the hour during to feel. But what's the hour afterwards? It's taking everything that you just accomplished and it's bringing it back with you. Our job isn't to have a momentary experience of standing in front of a Kaddish Baruch Hu and then go through our day just, you know, next. No, it's, it's supposed to be this continuous experience where you ride the high and you bring it with you into the next stage of your day. And you start shachis, you start off your day. You, you prime yourself. This is what my day is going to be. Mincha, you check in. You, you know, reconnect to that during Mincha. Marv, you, so to speak, it's the, the bookend where you basically say, this is what my day was and I'm really bringing it to a close. But then you bring it into that next stage of your night. It's about creating oneness within your day. And the last thing, the number four, is for you to realize what's important to you. I mean, think about that. What, what are you daven for? What are you asking Hashem for? You can tell so much about who you are based on what you daven for. Are you davening for a new car and a new house and for this to go well? Or are you davening... You know, not, not downplaying the significance and importance of asking Hashem for things. For Things Things are, are, are great. They're an aspect. But what are you davening for? What is your life about? What are you striving for? Are you striving to be able to understand Torah to be able to enjoy and love Torah, to remember the Torah you learn, to be able to concentrate when you learn, for the Torah to penetrate you, to change you, to transform you, for you to become a walking, living, breathing, safer Torah. Are you diving to fall in love with Hashem, to work on your mingos, to become the most extraordinary version of yourself? What are you davening for? Because when you start davening for greater things, it reveals who you are and what you want to be. And... This is this should be a constantly evolving process. You should always be, be delving deeper into yourself to get more in touch with who you are and who you know you are capable of becoming and to constantly dive it for higher and higher levels of tapping into yourself. But now I want to take this a step deeper. I want to delve into such an incredible question which is, how can we change Hashem's mind? Remember, we asked the question, how can we change Hashem's mind? Hashem already knows what we want. Hashem will obviously give us what's best for us, and even in terms of potential, 
like how can we ask Hashem for something if we're not supposed to get it? If we're not supposed to get it, we're not supposed to get it. If we're supposed to get it, then if as long as we just dive in, we're, we're gonna get it. But very often we say like, I know you you think I shouldn't get this Hashem, but no, I really I I think I should get it. I want to get it. Can you please give it to me, Hashem? How can we change Hashem's mind? So there's a it's an unbelievably deep idea. Many many of the Rishonim and Achronim discuss this. If you want to look it up for yourself, you can find it in the Ma'bit, Rav Yosef Albo, Rav Kook talks about it, a lot of other uh, Achronim talk about this. But the best way to frame it is understanding the concept of tefillah itself. Lehit Ba'el. Lehit Ba'el. Lehit Ba'el. Lehit Ba'el. What do you know us about that word? Lehit Ba'el. Tadavan. So, tefillah literally means judgment. Lehit Balel comes from that word that means judgment, but it's very strange because you can only say Lehit Balel in a reflexive tense. Right? There are seven forms of tense in the Hebrew language, and the seventh is Hit Ba'el, which is where a person does a thing to themselves. So, for example, Lovesh means to dress. Lehit Lavesh means to dress yourself. So you can't say, to, you can't say, oh, to daven and to daven yourself. The word davening is lehit balel, which literally means to judge yourself, to daven at yourself, to yourself, within yourself. It's something being done to the self. And the question is, what, what is going on here? What does that mean? And here's the deep idea. What is tefillah? What is the root of tefillah? Tefillah is not asking Hashem to change his mind. Tefillah is an avoda within ourselves where we try to change ourselves. It's a judging of oneself. It is a deep exploration within ourselves of yearning to become someone more. It is trying to change who we are from where we are to where we know we're supposed to be. From who we are to who we know we want to become. And it means delving into the depth of the self to find a deeper layer of self in becoming that self. It is a changing of the self. So we don't ask Hashem to, you know, can you please give me this because I want you to change your mind. We say, can you please give me this and I'm going to change myself into someone else so that I can get it. Now, what does this mean? I'll just share one one very cool idea. The chazan, the, the chazan, the person in front of the shul, why, why is it called a chazan? Chazan means also chazon. Chazon is a, a vision, a visionary. The chazan is the leader of this journey. He stands in front and he is, so to speak, he leads this, this experiential practice of visionary thinking and wanting. He leads the tzibor in the striving for a higher level of self, which is powerful. It's like chazan. It's like a navi was called a chazan, a seer, visionary. But what is this idea of changing the self? Changing the self means changing what you want, changing your ratzon. Your ratzon is your root. We've talked about this times before. Your ratzon is your very root of self. And we're not changing Hashem's mind, we're changing our mind. We're changing not what Hashem wants, we're changing what we want. We're changing our root. And this is really, if you look at the Sefer Siyas Yitzchak, and also I told you the Ma'abit, Yerazi Albo, others, it's, it's through the process of tefillah you are changing yourself. Because when it comes to tshuva, well, what's the idea of tshuva? Especially we're coming to Rosh Hashanah. Tshuva is the idea that I know that I did something wrong. I sinned. And I know that right now the 
the, 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 the address for that sin is me, but I'm going to return to my true self. I'm going to become someone more, someone else, so that the address of that sin is no longer a me, it's who I used to be. I'm changing who I am into who I'm supposed to be so that what I did is no longer attached to me. And we're not going to go into the very deep question, which is, okay, there's two aspects of every Avira. There's what you did, that's the damage to the spiritual world, so to speak. And then there's the relationship with Hashem. So you can repair the relationship with Hashem and become someone more who's more connected to Hashem. But can you repair the damage? That's a very deep question, which we're not going to go. It's a Gemara that talks about this is it's a whole fascinating sugya in a deep life, in a deep I'll just share one idea the Gemara says that what was supposed to happen was supposed to happen you don't have to be attached to that so that Avera and we, we can't get into all the depth behind that but whatever happened was supposed to happen you don't need to be attached to what happened so you're saying that I don't want to be connected I regret that I am remorseful for that I want to be someone else I know that I can't fix what happened because I can't change the past, but I can change my connection to the past. So I'm going to be someone who is so much more than what happened that I'm no longer connected to it, which is the, a very deep aspect of tshuva. It's changing who you are, changing who you want, changing that if I was in that position, I would no longer do it because I'm no longer that type of person, and therefore I'm no longer connected to that Misa. So if, 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 uh, sometimes I feel bad sharing an idea which requires about 20 minutes of proper explanation but for those who just want the nugget and either have the background to fully understand it or are now curious and will now delve deeper into it for me i i believe that's worth it so as opposed to just leaving it without explaining it at all uh, I'll, I'll share the nugget which is the 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 22nd explanation and you can either research it more yourself or if you have the background then you'll already appreciate it so what's the idea here the idea is number one, when we going back to changing who you are, changing what you want, becoming someone more. It could be that there was a time where you davened for something and you weren't capable of receiving that bracha. It wasn't appropriate for you. You wouldn't have been able to succeed with it, or it wasn't something that was really right for you. But once you show Hashem that you are responsible, you're capable, you are now a person who that is something that's good for, of course Akash Baruch will give it to you. It's like for example, if a child wants an electric drill for his birthday and he's four, parents not going to give it to him because he's going to do a lot more damage than, than good. It's not safe. It's not healthy. But once he matures and he shows his parents that, no, I'm, I'm capable of being responsible with this, of course his parents will give it to him. It's like, when do you allow your child to cross the, tree, the street? When does a parent allow their child to cross the street? It's when the child knows when not to cross the street. It's when the child's responsible. It's not something which you like, oh, now you're you're gonna get this as a special present. It's purely based on are you capable of handling this? It's like if a father wants to give his child a bicycle, but the child is spoiled. So the father has the bicycle there. He's just waiting for the child to mature and to be able to receive the bicycle in a way that's not damaging to the child. It's the same thing for Hashem. Hashem is waiting for you to become the vessel, to become the person capable of receiving this bracha. And that's really what the Nefesh Chaim explains. He says, he says, what's the, the real goal of tefillah? And the goal of tefillah, of changing who you are, is saying that, listen, I, look, if I dive in for $200,000, and then I dive in for $200,000 another day, like, what's the difference? It's like, why are you davening for it? 
Are you davening for it because you want it, because you're selfish, and because you're just asking Hashem to give you a kaching? Or are you davening for it because you want to fulfill your purpose? I know with that money, you won't have the stresses. You'll be able to really focus on growing and becoming the person you're capable of becoming. It's like, why are you davening for the things you're davening to? It's like, you have to say that the real avoda of tefillah is wanting it for the right reasons. Wanting it so you can commit yourself to doing what you're supposed to be doing to become the person you're capable of becoming, the person you're destined to become, to really be able to develop the kochos. And the question is, how does that happen? Because you can't fool Hashem. You can't say, okay, one day I want this for myself, but today, you know what? I'm now a better person and I want it for the right reasons. So Hashem, come on, give it to me. Come on, come on, come on. I, I, said, I said the magic words, right? I said I want it for you. I said I want, like, you can't fool Hashem. So how do you change your son? And we get to a real paradox because how can you change what you want? It's like if all I want is to have $100,000, $200,000, right? I said $200,000. All I want is $200,000, and I learned that no, I have to want it for the right reasons. So I convinced myself I want it for the right reasons, and I really try to convince myself. Do you really think that I can change what I want? Can I really change what I want? How do I do that? Now, what is Ratzon? Because in order to understand this topic, we have to understand what the concept of Ratzon is. And Ratzon has the same gematria as Makor, because your Ratzon, your want, is the source of who you are, everything you do in your life, what you think about, what you talk about, what you eat, who you hang out with, what you do for a living, what you learn, what you... Everything gets back to that root Makor, that root source of who are you? What's driving everything in your life? And it's like changing what you want should be impossible. Because even saying, I want to want, right? For example, let's say, I can't say I want I want $200,000 to serve Hashem, but I can say that, listen, I want to want it for you. I want to want more, a bigger opportunity to impact people for you. I want to want more physical health for you. Even though I might not actually want it, but I can say I want to want it, but is that true? Because you don't say I want to want it, if I don't want it, I can't say I want to want it because I don't. I still really want it for myself. So even if I try to say I want to want it, if I go back to the actual root want, it's still for me. So what's going on here? How can I how can I change what I want? And this is such a powerful question because it gets back to the Rutsun, the Rutsun exercise, one of the most powerful exercises, which when you when you ask yourself, what do you want? Okay, what do you want? Let's see, why do you want that? Oh, why do I want that? Because then I'll get this. Okay, but why do you want that? And do this. You can pause it. You can do it afterwards. But say, why do I want that? Oh, because then I'll get this. Okay, but why do you want that? Because then I'll get this. When you get to something which you want for no other reason, that is your absolute root. That's what you want. And the Ramchal talks about this in great depth. And I'll, I'll tell you, Everyone always comes to the same conclusion. And I've heard, I've done this with many, many different people. And it's always like, okay, what do I want? I want a lot of money. Because then I'll be able to get whatever I want. Because then uh, people will like me. Because then I'll, or I'll be famous. Or because then I'll be able to really do whatever I want and I'll have freedom. Because then I'll be happy. Why do you want to be happy? If you do, if you do this well and you're actually self-aware, you'll always get back to happiness. Why do you want to be happy? The answer is that Hashem created us with the underlying root of wanting to be happy, but we 
always mistranslate happiness. We say, okay, if I have a lot of money, I'll be happy. If I'm famous, I'll be happy. If I have love, I'll be happy. If I have meaning in my life, I'll be happy. If I um, have a lot of friends, I'll be happy. If I you know, have a lot of physical pleasure, I'll be happy. We try all these different things to solve the question of how do I get happy. But our underlying root is happiness because our underlying root is to become our truest selves, is to actualize all of our potential, is to devote our lives to the truth, is to live our ultimate true selves in this world, devote our lives to Gosh Baruch Hu, and to live a life of purpose and truth. When you live that type of life, you are happy. Now, you're not supposed to live that type of life in order to become happy, but that is your root, that when you are living in line with your true higher self, you achieve happiness. What is your underlying ratzon? Your underlying ratzon is to live your ultimate self is to become your true self, to live in aligned with the truth, to devote your life to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and to actualize your potential. When you live such a life, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives you this gift of happiness. Now, everything else that you want is just a facade. That's not who you really are. That's not what you really want. It's like the Gemara in Labad, Anida uh, Dathlam Abbey says that when you were in the womb, you learned Kala Torah Kula, you were shown your, your unique purpose in life, your, your perfect ideal self, and you lost that when you were born because you're supposed to come into this world, as the Vilna Gon explains, you come into this world to become and actualize your ultimate self. But your root is perfect. Your ultimate root is perfection, is MS, is you know the ultimate purest root. So what is Tfilah? Tefillah is not saying, Hashem, I know I don't want this for the right reasons, but help me want it for the right reasons. Tefillah is about getting more and more in touch with what you really want, which is a perfect ratzon, which is a ratzon which is perfectly aligned with HaKadosh Baruch Hu's ratzon, which is a ratzon that is so deeply pure. And Tefillah isn't changing your ratzon, it's tapping into your true ratzon. When you daven, you're supposed to be giving up what you truly want, what you think you truly want, for what you actually want. You might think that all you want is, you know, things for selfish reasons. And I have to give that up for Hashem. But tefillah is really about tapping into your higher want, your true self, your higher self. And that is lehit balel. It is a working on oneself. It is a changing of oneself. It is a changing of your inner ratzon and becoming your true self. And that's actually, if you want a beautiful halachic source for this, the Rambam. Rambam talks about when it comes to someone who refuses to give his wife a get, you can actually, you know, force that person to give a get until he says rotsani, which says, you know, I want to give this get. And halachically, actually, brings it down if you want to look up for yourself. So Rambam says in Hilchas Gershon, Perak Beis, Halacha Chaf. He says that you can actually, you know, whack him and hurt him, you know, hit him physically, you know, just like until he says, I want to give this get to my wife. And the question is, and just a little background, a person who refuses to give a get to his wife is torturing his wife and is basically saying you can't get remarried even though I'm not going to be with you. And it's, you know, it's, nowadays I'm not going to get into, it's a huge source of pain for the Jewish community for people who, who refuse to give their wives a get. And why this doesn't work nowadays is very complicated. We're not going to get into that right now. But the Rambam says halakha, you can force a person to give a get. Now the question is, how can you force him? In halakha, it's not just like, okay, you kind of go through the motions. You have to have intent. You have to really mean it. It has to be l'shma. You have to, like, you have to really mean, I'm giving you this get. And when it comes to what the Rambam Paskins, Paskins it comes up to the Rambam, but the Rambam Paskins, that you can force the person. And the question is, like, we know he doesn't really want it. He might be saying he wants it, but he's just saying rotsani because, which means I want to give this guy. He's just saying that because he doesn't want you to hit him. 
He doesn't really mean it. The second you stop hitting him, he goes back to not wanting it. So what does Ramos say? He says a beautiful answer. He says your real inner Ratzon is to serve Hashem. Your real inner Ratzon, and, and your true Ratzon is Ratzani. Your true Ratzon is, I want to do this because I'm mitzvah. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And it's specifically in the context where you're supposed to be giving again. So halachically, we acknowledge and recognize your true Ratzon. What does it mean your true Ratzon? Because at root, your Ratzon is the Ratzon Hashem. At root, you are connected to a Baruch At root, you are perfect. But you're in this world to become perfect. You're in this world to connect your current Ratzon to your true Ratzon. To give up who you are for who you're supposed to be. And that's the real avoda of tefillah. And this is the goal of tefillah. It's an avodas halev, it's an avodas haratzon. It's working on becoming who you're supposed to become. And the biggest proof that tefillah is an avodas haratzon, of, of changing your ratzon, is that the Gemara and Bracha says the Hashem Davins. Now, what's the context? What is Hashem Davin for? So, what in the world could Hashem Davin for? Like, Hashem doesn't need anything. Hashem doesn't want, like, Hashem doesn't have any lack. So the Gemara says, what does Hashem daven for? The Gemara says he davens to change his ratzon from din to rachman, which comes up on Rosh Hashanah, where we blow the shofar and Kosh Baruch Hu changes from the kisei of din to the kisei rachman, the throne of din to the throne of judgment, to the throne of din of, ju- of strict, harsh judgment, to the throne of rachman, which is mercy. There's a whole other topic, which is a beautifully deep topic of what that means. But what is Hashem davening for? He's davening to change his internal ratzon. Not that he has a lack, but the concept of changing Ratzon is the Iker essence of Tefillah. And that's why Hashem davens to change his Ratzon from Din to Rachamim. Because that is what the concept of Tefillah is, is the concept of Akiras HaRatzon and changing it to something else. The core of Tefillah is not asking for things. The core of Tefillah is the concept of changing your ratzon, and that is the carbon. What's the what the, the Ramban says that when you get tefillah is replacing carbonos, and carbonos was real avodah. What's the avodah? What's the carbon in our tefillah? What are you sacrificing? You're sacrificing your current self, your current will, your current ratzon for a greater ratzon, for a greater self, for a greater version of yourself. You are sacrificing who you currently are for who you're supposed to become. That is unbelievable. And that is, if you really think about it, it's a whole topic that we're not going to get into, but that's why an ordeal, a challenge, an obstacle, something that's difficult in your life can force you to become someone that you're supposed to become. That's why uh, ordeals and challenges are so connected to tefillah because the ordeals inspire and push you to your limits. They force you to become who you're supposed to become which gets into a lot of very beautiful ideas, especially for the Imahos who couldn't have children and they davened and davened and then were able to have children. A lot of it was changing their name. It's always connected to changing who you are changes what you're capable of becoming. As in, once you become who you're supposed to become, you change. It's like, for example, Sarah and and, and Rivka and Rachel, people who were barren and then were able to have children, they changed who they were. A lot of it for, for Sarah, it was a change of name into Sarah. It was you, you, the ordeal challenged you to uproot who you are to who you're supposed to become, and that allows you to then have a different mazel, so to speak, or able to have a different, uh, you know, be makabel a new bracha and to have a child. I mean, we, we talk about on Rosh Hashanah how, how Sarah didn't even have a base flood. Forget how she was barren, she didn't have a womb. And she davened and she's able to change who she was to be able to have children. It's a very, very deep idea. 
And I would say to really wrap up, we can end with a couple of powerful, powerful ideas. Number one is that tefillah is an exercise of the Ratzon, but really the, the Iker aspect of tefillah is asking for the thing so that we can use it to fulfill our purpose to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's like Nefesh Chaim explains that we don't ask for things. We don't ask for like a new car, a new house. We're asking for the things that we can use in order to be able to fulfill our purpose. And that's really the Iker essence of the tefillah is we want it for you, Hashem. That's really changing what you, who you are. It's saying I want it for higher purposes. I want wisdom to understand Hashem. I want health so I can you know, fulfill my avod in this world. I want money so I don't have to worry about that. I can focus on what's important in life. I want... Like, why are you want? Why are you asking for the things you're asking for? It's like once you elevate your ratzon, once you elevate your bakasha, you can elevate who you are, and that's the real test of will and the test of ratzon. Is you want to be becoming a higher version of yourself through the tefillah. I mean, it's not just that you become a higher version of yourself and that's the one that tefillah will now work. It's that through the actual tefillah itself, that is the elevation of will. It's not what is will. It's like when you're davening, you want to work on that meditation. You want to work on elevating your will. And a big part of that is personalizing tefillah. When you get to das and Shmanasri, like stop at the end of that bracha, right before you say bracha Hashem uh, and, and focus. And focus and ask Hashem to, to give you the bracha of wisdom, give you the bracha of, of being intelligent, give you the bracha of remembering Torah, give you the, the bracha of loving Torah. And when you get to and you ask Hashem for Parnasa. Get to Rafa'in, you ask Hashem for Afua, for you, for people you know. Like, make tefillah real. And there, I'll, I don't know if I was going to share this with you. I will share this with you. It's, it's a very, very deep and, and I'll, I'll tell you, a very strange story in Torah. Where we have the story of Chana, especially comes up for Rosh Hashanah. Chana davens for a child. But the Gemara says something very strange. It says, that she thrust towards up at Hashem, like aggressively, like in a very, you know, questionable manner. And seemingly, it seems, at least from the way Chazal put it, that her feel was done in a way which may even seem to be inappropriate. So we think of Chana as a hero as someone who davened with all of her strength, and she was able to have Shmuel, and she devoted, she gave Shmuel to uh, the, the Mishkan, to Eli, and, and devoted Shmuel's life to Akash Baruch Hu. But the Gemara says that she said to Hashem, and this is like, you, you wouldn't be able to say this if this wasn't an actual Gemara. She said to Hashem, I can force you to give me a child against your will. I can. So please don't make me do that. Right? Instead, give me a child according to your will. Now, now this is mind-blowing. Chana is literally telling Hashem, I can force your hand, I can make you give me a child. So don't make me do that. Give me a child through your own will. Now, the Beis HaLevi asks, like, what in the world is this Gemara talking about? What is Chana talking about? How does this make any sense? And he says something unbelievable. He says, there's the Halacha of Asota. If you don't know, we're not going to go into all the details. But it's basically a woman who is warned not to be in isolation with another man and by her husband. Her husband says, don't be in isolation with that man. And then if she's found in isolation, um, so basically what happens if the woman is in seclusion with this man who she was warned against, so she can be subjected to a test. And it's a very interesting test for Jinx, the, the, the Mesota, which is the water which has been mixed with the dust of the Beis Hamikdash, and the name of Hashem has been erased because of it. It's a very, very interesting and very strange 
episode in halacha. And what happens is that if she's guilty, if she's guilty, then she dies a very painful death. She has to drink this water. But if she's innocent, then she's blessed with a child. And, and the deeper idea behind this, which I'm not going to go into right now, but very, you know, at least what I think the deep idea behind this, is that if a husband accuses her, then he's basically, through the accusation, he sees her as someone who is who has betrayed her, the relationship. She's unfaithful. At least he thinks that. That's the whole point of the, of the sota. That he thinks she's unfaithful. Because who knows what happened in that room? And therefore, the relationship has been destroyed by the very accusation. So what happens is that after she's proved to be innocent, she is blessed with a child to recreate the relationship. Because when you have a child, the child will help them rebuild the relationship. But the child is a, re- a reflection of their oneness. It helps create the oneness. You're committed to raising the child together. The child itself is a reflection of your love and oneness. What does Chana tell Hashem? She says, I want a child and I need a child. And I have such a deep desire to have a child. And you created, listen to this, you created this deeply rooted desire within me because I want it for you. I don't want this for me. I want it for you. And I want it so deeply. I want it in every fiber of my being. Every fiber of my being has this flaming desire to serve your Kodesh Baruch and have a child for you and devote my child to you that I, I, I'm going to do anything in my power to become a mother, to have this child, and to use it for Avodah Hashem. And why was it mutter? Basically what she's saying, she's saying, I am going to create a scenario where you are going to, you know, I'm going to set up this situation with the Sota where I'm going to be with a man secluded in the room where I didn't have any, do, do anything inappropriate with him, and then I'm going to be blessed with a child because of that, because I'm going to be proven to be innocent. She said, I'm going to set this up. I'm going to contrive a Sota situation so that I have a child, and I'm going to do this for you, Hashem. I'm going to do this because I want it for you. And that's the base Halivi says. He says, it was only Mutter for Khan to do this because she wanted it 100% for Hashem. We're not going to get into the topic of Avir Lishmud. It's a very similar discussion about you know, when it would be Mutter, and obviously we don't, don't go and be doing this yourself, but uh, there are different situations where Avir Lishmud is Mutter, Esther, uh, was said to have done the uh, the daughters of Lot, different situations in in in, in Chazal where we talk about Avirah which is where you do something that's mutter only because it's one hundred percent pure. And what's the proof? The proof is that the moment that Shmuel was born, she devoted him to Hashem. The moment, and she was finally again the child. Child, she's waiting. You know, Elkanah, and, and she's waiting her entire life for a child. What happened the moment she had her child? It's for you, Hashem. I don't want it for me. I want it for you. Now, this is a, a, an extreme example. And obviously, it wasn't, you have to remember, this wasn't the price she paid for Shmuel. It wasn't like a sacrifice. It's that this is why she wanted the child. That's really important to realize also. And obviously, this is very complicated. I was debating whether or not to share this because this is such a, a difficult thing to wrap your mind around. Like, Hannah literally was going to challenge Hashem if Hashem didn't give her the child. Obviously, Hashem gave her the child, and she showed that she wanted it just for Hashem. But that was an extreme example, but the idea is still so powerful. And what did she name him? She named him Shmuel. Shmuel is what? Hashem hears. Hashem listens. Hashem listened to her tefillah. And, and if you think about what was, you want to get back, so what was her tefillah? 
What, what was she? Why did you need to ask Hashem so deeply? It didn't matter. If even if Hashem didn't give her the child, she'd just do the whole the sota experiment, so to speak, and she'd have her child that way. What was her tefillah? Her tefillah was this. Think about it. Her tefillah is, I know, I need to have a child for you. I know this is who I am. This is my purpose, and I'm going to have a child, but. I don't want to do it the Soto way because then I'm going to have to erase your name, Hashem. And then I'm going to have to force your hand. Like, I don't want to do it that way. I want to do it the right way. I want to do it, meaning if I erase your Hashem, it's going to be somewhat sacrificing Hashem's kavod. And it's not the ideal way. So I'm going to do it the ideal way, which is by me davening with all my heart and for Hashem to give it to me that way. But regardless, I know that the right thing for me to do is to have this child. But I want to do it for the right reasons. You know, if you want to apply this in your life, obviously, not in this extreme way, because I don't think any of us are on that level. But when we daven for things and we truly daven for them, we can obviously be inspired by Hanan to want them for the right reasons. To devote our lives to truth, to stop being self-focused and to recognize that we are part of something so much bigger than ourselves, but we don't lose our identity when we devote ourselves to Hashem. We find our identity. We find ourselves. We became, we become empowered and inspired and, and passionate about living a life of purpose and truth and devoting all of our kochos, all of our potential, all of our abilities to Akash Baruch Hu, to Klaishol, to, to bringing an awareness and revelation of Akash Baruch Hu in this world. And I'll, I'll leave you with one last idea before we wrap up, which is a very powerful idea, which is that you should only daven for something that you can live without. Only daven for something that you can also hear the answer no to. Because otherwise you're davening for yourself. Otherwise you're just basically saying that I know what's best and, you know, Hashem, listen to me. You have to get to the point of another where you're able to say, I think this is what I'm supposed to have. I think this is right for me. I think this is best for me. But if Hashem, if it's not, I don't need it. Because then you're you're truly davening to fulfill your purpose and you're not davening for Hashem to somehow do what you want. It's like there's, there's a great story. I heard of a, a six-year-old girl who, whose doll broke. And the mother, for some reason thought this was a great opportunity because her daughter came in crying and my doll broke and she thought this was a great opportunity for her to build a relationship with Hashem so she goes you know why don't you ask Hashem to fix it she was so proud of herself going to teach her a lesson and then she thought oh my gosh she started to get so scared what's going to happen she's going to daven to Hashem nothing's going to happen and she's not going to believe in Hashem she's going to you know be shattered she's going to say tefillah doesn't work Hashem doesn't listen and she's like oh my gosh I shouldn't have done this and she's like what happens the daughter she goes into the room she starts like shuckling and davening and saying all these beautiful tefillahs and kavanas and who knows what you know children have the deepest tefillah imaginable she comes back in and her mother is like scared she's like what did i do what's gonna happen and the girl her daughter seems fine and the mother says is everything okay what happened and the daughter looks a little sad and she says Ima, the, the, the doll's not going to get better. So the mother says, is everything okay? Are you okay with that? And the daughter said, yeah, of course. I damned Hashem, and Hashem said no. No, that's that's a beautiful story. And that's obviously beautiful in terms of children have that imanup shuta. But you, we need to have that 
same form of amuna. meaning we need to be okay if Hashem says no. I mean, the idea is that if you're able to hear the word no, then if it's yes, you can recognize it from Hashem. Meaning, if it's if you can't hear the word no, that really just means like you're basically telling Hashem what he has to do. And you're deciding what the MS is. But once you realize that Hashem's going to do what's best for me regardless, and this goes back to what we talked about before, then you can daven for it because if the answer is no, that's okay. You just realize, okay, Hashem knows better what's best for me. And it also inspires me to continue working on myself in case, in case it is best for me. It's a reminder that, number one, this might not be best for me. Even if it is best for me, I still need to become a person who this would be the best thing for. So let's wrap up. In our, in, like trying to, we, we asked a lot of questions, and we shared a lot of ideas, a lot of content here, and there's still so much more for us to share, and there's obviously, if we had more time, we can just continue forever. But to build a basic framework of what we discussed, number one, Hashem knows exactly what we want. Right? We're not informing Hashem about what we want. Number two is we don't change Hashem's mind. Right? We can actualize the potential for what's already destined for us, and we can change ourselves to become someone who's capable of receiving what we once were no longer... We, I mean, even if we were once not fitting of receiving it, even if we didn't have the potential, we can create new potential by changing ourselves. In addition to that, we can also dive in by actualizing we can dive in in order to actualize the potential that's already established. And the reason why we ask for so many things is, number one, the avoda element, the sacrifice element, is that we sacrifice who we are for who we know we're supposed to become. And we ask for things not you know, for our own selfish reasons, but so that we can have the ability to accomplish our potential, to devote our life towards HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We ask for the opportunity to have the things in our lives that will enable us to live a life of purpose and truth. And... I mean, for me, the most the most impactful and inspiring idea is that our real avoda is sacrificing who we are for who we're supposed to be. Like, when you understand the idea, that should give you the chills. That, that you genuinely have to commit, like, a self-sacrifice. You, you have to give up who you are. And so many of us struggle with sacrificing who we are for who we know we're supposed to become. To give up the things that are just holding us back. I mean, if you would be self-aware and just think about what is it in your life that you know, if you gave it up, if you stopped doing that, if you just created something a little more helpful, more healthy in your life, everything would start going in the right direction, but you just struggle with it because it's become so part of your life, so part of your identity, and you can't imagine life without it. Well, that's what tefillah is. It's, it's the real emunah of tefillah is walking into the unknown and saying, I'm giving up who I am because I'm going into the unknown on this Lech Lecha journey, just like Avram wasn't given a destination, just said, you know, go to that version of yourself that you know you're supposed to become. You don't know what's on the other side. Neither, you're not supposed to know, but you're giving up who you are for what you're supposed to become. That's really what Tefillah is about. It's this journey to our true selves, to our higher selves. And, the, the, you know, I would say the, the real bracha that we can give ourselves is that we should be zocha to uh, we should both be zocha and inspired to engage in true tefillah, in true tefillah, in true avudas haratzon avudas haliv, where every single day, three times, I would say at least three times a day, we tap into a higher version of ourselves. We tap into a higher ratzon. We tap into you know source ourselves back to Kadosh Baruch Hu, build our relationship with Hashem, and recognize that all the brach in our life comes from Hashem. 
And should we, be we should be inspired in the coming weeks, in the coming months, to continue to engage in higher and higher forms of avoda, higher and higher forms of tefillah, and to recognize that the ultimate thing that we can do for Akash Baruch Hu is to raise our standards and raise our ratzon, to engage in true tefillah and devote our lives to becoming the truest and greatest versions of ourselves.